you sing a song like Behold Our God, the very thing I think of is awe of God. Awe of God. When we gather as a church to worship, that's what ought to be produced in the hearts of God's people. Awe of God. Like when you come here to worship God, you're in awe. And when you lose that awe, you start backsliding. But when you get that awe, when you, when you have that reverence, that awe, that, that sense of the awesome majesty of God, that's just soul-strengthening stuff. And if anything, we're learning through our time studying Ephesians chapter 6 is we're in a battle and we have a glorious God and we ought to be in awe of him, right? We ought not to be trembling before the devil, right? It's been said that the weakest Christian on his knees makes the devil tremble. Amen? So let's come before the Lord and let's ask for his help. And I'm feeling more desperate for his help than ever as we come to this passage and this text in particular. So let's pray. Father, we come before you, Lord, and we need you. We need a visitation from you. We don't just need more information. We don't need just a helpful lesson. We need nothing less than the spirit-filled, bold proclamation of the word of God. And Lord, open our hearts for that reality. Send your spirit to do surgery in our hearts to make us more effective warriors for the cause of God in this world as ambassadors of King Jesus, as representatives of the King. Father, help us to be a people on our knees and help us to be a people with wartime mentality. And Father, work in us what needs to happen this week, Lord. Work in us in this moment, in this very hour. Meet all kinds of needs in the room, supernaturally, that you know about. Father, open hearts that are just resistant maybe right now to the word of God. Open hearts that are freshly discouraged by something that just went on in their life. To receive encouragement. And open hearts, Lord, that might just be struggling with weariness. And Lord, energize us now through your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. So one of the things that you will notice as you read through the New Testament, and especially as you read through the book of Acts and the apostles' teaching in the letters of the New Testament, is that the word of God puts a premium on prayer and bold proclamation of the word. Like God is showing you all through the New Testament that what the church is supposed to be about is prayer and the bold preaching of the word of God, right? The, the preaching of the word about Jesus Christ is to be the main attraction. The main event on Sunday is when we hear from God in his word. 
We worship God through the word, right? We sing about the word. We pray the word. It's a word-centered reality. And that's the main event. And then underneath the proclamation of the word is this reality of wartime prayer that we see. We see saints fervently praying and interceding and persisting and holding on to God like they know they're in a cosmic war, right? That's what you see in the book of Acts. That's what you see through Paul's letters. That's what we see in Ephesians 6. And so, those two things are intertwined, right? There will be no bold proclamation if there is not fervent prayer. As the, the Dutch proverb says, right? You pray me full and I'll preach you full, right? That's, that's right out of the New Testament. Because Paul, as we're going to see, the apostle, the foremost missionary of the gospel in the New Testament, the pioneer missionary of all of Christendom, is pleading with the Ephesians, pleading with the church at Ephesus, pray for me that words may be given to me in utterance, right? To open my mouth to make known, to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Because he's an ambassador for Jesus in chains. And he says, pray that I preach as bold as I ought to preach. Because this is the greatest news in all the world. We ought to be sounding the trumpet. We ought to be playing the bugle. We ought to be singing at the top of our lungs like we were. I love worship at Smithfield because, because we're singing our hearts out to Jesus. And that gets me fired up to preach. So I'm, I'm encouraged because we're being pointed to God. So as we see this reality in the New Testament, I just want to read one scripture before we get into Ephesians 6. And I'll show you all this stuff is right there in Ephesians 6. But listen to a description of the early church's witness, and particularly the apostles, Peter and John, by Jewish authorities. Jewish authorities who are angry and upset with the preaching of the gospel. And Acts 4.13 tells us something beautiful. And I hope this can be said of our church. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. And perceived that they were uneducated common men. They were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. This is hostile Jewish authorities ready to imprison and even put to death these men. And it was like the, the one thing they noticed when they saw the boldness of the preaching, when they saw something supernatural seemed to be happening. It's like these men have been with Jesus. 
And I thought, what an amazing description of the power of God manifesting on the Word of God, on the preacher of the gospel. How beautiful are the feet of those who take the good news, right? The Spirit of God uniquely energized their ministry and produced a kind of boldness in the face of opposition, in the face of certain death, in the face of persecution that read to the enemies of the gospel, these brothers have been with Jesus. And I was just like, I want that so, I, I, I just want that in my life. And, and I want to produce by God's grace and filled with the Holy Spirit and preaching the word of God, that, that this is the kind of thing that, that I want the Lord to create in us is a kind of boldness and a kind of ministry that has power on it, unique power that people would just know these folks have been with Jesus. They just look at your life and it's like, ooh, something's different there. They have been with Jesus. Talk about how many gospel conversations you get into, right? When that's going on in your heart. So I, I wonder and I pray and I ask you to pray that this would be the reputation of Smithfield Baptist Church. They've been with Jesus. And they love God's word. They love the gospel. They love prayer. And they love praying together. All right. Now we come to Ephesians chapter 6 for one last time. And we read in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For you do not wrestle with flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace and in all circumstances take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And then we come to our verses once again, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. And then notice this to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador 
in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. And there is the battle cry from the Apostle Paul to the people of God at Ephesus and the people of God at Smithfield. And we're just going to, we're going to hang this information on three different hooks, right? Hook number one, watchful prayer. Hook number two, evangelistic prayer. And hook number three, wartime ambassadors for the king. So, first hook, watchful prayer. Did you notice that in verse 18? Watchful prayer. Paul is saying, keep alert, right? To that end, it says, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for the saints. And I love that. It's this picture of just be alert, be awake, be roused to action. We are in and immersed in a battle and we have a great need for the intervention of God, and we have a great need to have our eyes opened so that we see what's really happening, right? You gotta see what's happening in your family. You gotta see what's happening in your heart. You gotta see what's going on in the battlefield of your mind, right? What are these thoughts assailing you, gripping you, depressing you, discouraging you? beating you down, do they come from God? Or do they come from the prince of darkness? What are you meditating on? Are you awake today to the reality that we need to be a people of watchful prayer? So that's why Paul says, we're going to be praying at all times. Why? Because to this end, we want to keep alert. We want to keep alert. And I think like this exhortation of the Apostle Paul is simply what Jesus said to his disciples all through the New Testament, especially, especially at the end, right? He told them how it's so easy to fall asleep in the midst of great spiritual danger when your soul is at stake. When you're headed on a trajectory, you need to be awake. When you're headed for a backsliding failure like Peter falls on his face and boom, 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 all the way down to denying his Lord because he wasn't awake. So picture this, right? Jesus is going to the Garden of Gethsemane. And what do we see? But a picture of Jesus in his hour of great trouble in the garden. He takes his inner circle. He takes Peter. He takes James. And he takes John. His inner three. His boys. Those who are closest to him. And as he begins to contemplate... The cross, he tells them, watch, just watch. Let me go pray. 
And he goes into the garden and he's contemplating what he's going to do for your redemption if you're in Christ. And listen, if you're not in Christ, the reality is that Jesus went to a garden and prayed to his father, Lord, is there any other way that they can be saved? Is there any other way that redemption can come to a lost people who are rebelling against God? Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And he submitted to God's good designs willingly. In other places, it says joyfully. But on that moment, in his moment of travail, what do his disciples do? But they have fallen fast asleep. Satan's attacking. Satan's about to be, uh, put it in the heart of Judas to betray Jesus. And a squad of armed guards are going to arrest the Lord. And listen to what Jesus says as he comes back and finds them sleeping. Mark 14, 37. And he came and found them sleeping and said to Peter, Simon... Are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus was talking about watchful prayer. And listen, he knows. He knows that many of us as Christians, we have really good intentions about prayer. We have really good intentions. Sometimes I'm just out the gate and I'm like, I'm going to pray three hours today, right? It doesn't end up three hours, but I'm fired up. <laughs> and then what? The fizzle starts to happen. And ultimately what we see here is in the hour of need, the disciples closest, most well-trained, are snoozing on their watch. And we get a picture of the Lord's kind, gracious rebuke. He says, listen, you, you need to watch and you need to pray. Peter, you're about to go through some stuff. You don't even know. You're not even awake to it. Some of you are about to go through some stuff. Some of you are going through some stuff. And you need to be awake. You need to be awake in your prayer. You need to be awake. You need to be thinking like I, I want to come before the Lord with that wartime kind of prayer mentality. And I want to be somebody who's awake. And so we see this idea that the Christian is to be alert, sober minded, clear headed in the midst of the battle. One writer reminds us that Christ is building his church on territory that has been occupied by an enemy. And alertness is always essential when you're living in a war zone. Right? How do you think people live in the Ukraine? They have an alertness. They have a sense of what matters. They have a sense of what's real. They have a sense of life and death realities. 
and may the spirit blow on our church to wake us up to this kind of watchful, wide awake prayer. Are we awake today at Smithfield Baptist Church? Now you might be saying, right, Pastor, I'm trying to be awake. I'm trying. I'm trying to get handles on this thing called prayer. You've been talking a lot about prayer. You've been emphasizing the prayer meeting. You've been talking about all these things. And I'm trying to get my handles, but I just need to, I, I need help on knowing what this looks like, right? I need help to see what this sort of thing looks like. And Paul is going to help us right in this passage. Show you what it looks like to be watchful in your prayer. And the first thing that you'll notice in verse 18 is he says, keep alert. And then what does he say? With, help me out, all perseverance. With all perseverance. So the first thing that we need to see is that watchful prayer is persevering prayer. Watchful prayer is prayer that doesn't give up. Doesn't give up on God. Right? If you stop praying, you have effectively said, I give up. But when you lay hold of God in prayer, it means you're awake and you realize your need for God. And when I think about this idea of perseverance in prayer, like watchful prayer is prayer that keeps going, right? It's Energizer Bunny prayer. Y'all remember the Energizer Bunny, right? What's it do? It keeps going and going and go it's got the batteries, right? It keeps going and going. You have the Holy Spirit. You have the Spirit of God in you, bearing witness with your spirit that you're a child of God, reminding you, empowering you, energizing you to keep going. Don't give up. Keep going. And so we have this great hope to stay alert on the battlefield of life and keep on praying. And I'm a realistic pastor, and I realize that some in here today have given up on prayer. You've given up. Perhaps you're just so discouraged about your life. You're so discouraged about where you're at. And you feel so hollowed out that you, you just can't. You feel like, I can't. I can't get there. I can't persevere. I can't do it anymore. And I need God's intervention. Perhaps you've gotten so busy, so busy with so many things, so much in your schedule, so many things on the to-do list, the priorities are just out of whack and you feel like you're on a spiral. And Paul is reminding you not to give up on prayer. He's reminding you to keep coming to the throne of grace because that is where the Christian gets empowered. That's where God makes good on verse 10. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might or the strength of his might. Like how do you get the strength of God? It's when you're on your knees. 
right? If anything good is going to happen in this pulpit, there has to be kneeling going on before the Lord, our God. If anything enduring, if any spiritual fruit, if any hope is to come into your life, it has to happen at the throne of grace where you enter in with God and you say, Lord, I need you. And I love to come back to that place. And maybe the spirit of God is waking you up today and saying, come back to the place where you get renewed. Come back to the place where you get hope. Come back to the place where you get a heavenly father who's so lavish in his love for you. And the moment you begin to doubt persevering prayer, look to the cross and know the way God cares for you. If he did not spare his own son, but he gave him up for us all, how will he not also with Jesus give us everything we need? He gave you the, the hardest thing. He gave his son for you. Will he not give the smaller things that you need? Now listen, Part of coming to the Lord and trusting him in prayer and persisting is just coming with a posture of knowing like God knows he's a good father and he's totally wise and he sees the end from the beginning and he knows exactly what you need. You don't know what you need, but he knows. So never, ever take unanswered prayer. As a reason to give up. Because the father knows what he's doing in your life. And if you're a Christian. If you're a Christian. His promise is that I'm going to work everything for good in your life. Romans 8.28. So Jesus was in touch with this persevering prayer. Right? He told a parable. Once in Luke 18, about a persistent widow. In Luke 18, 1, he said, it says, And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Oh, how many of us need to hear that? You ought always to pray and don't lose heart. Jesus knows some of you are losing heart. He knows, and he's telling you, this is Jesus talking. Don't lose heart. And he says a story to them. In a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterwards he said to, them, said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice, so that she will not beat me down with her continual coming. And the Lord said, this is Jesus' commentary, Hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect 
who cry to him day and night. Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Persevering prayer is all about trusting God. Will you trust your Father? And if you do, you will prevail in prayer. You will persist. You'll get re-motivated. You'll surround yourself with people who are motivated to prayer. Pray. Right? That's one great thing about Wednesday night. Surround yourself with people who love to pray. Come to the Lord. Don't give up on prayer. Jesus taught it. Paul teaches it. And it's a great lesson for those of us who are tempted to fail to be watchful prayers. But the second thing we see about watchful prayer is that we're to pray for all the saints. Do you see that in verse 18? To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And I love that. Because we're very, it's very easy to pray for yourself. But Paul is saying, prevailing prayer, watchful prayer is about praying for your fellow believers. And so the question I ask myself and the question I ask you is, do you pray for other Christians? Do you pray for their needs? Do you get into their lives to know what the needs are? Perhaps we only pray for some people in the church. It's like, well, I'm closer to them. But Paul is saying, pray and make supplication for all the saints. And it's a recognition we're in this battle together. It's a recognition that, that your prayer on the left side of the pews might empower and encourage those on the right side of the pews. And those on the right side of the pews, your prayer is going to empower those on the left. And then your prayer is going to empower your preacher, which we're going to get to later. Right? Like, that's how this works. We are called to be watchful. And the way we're watchful is when we begin to pray for one another. We don't get clickish in our prayer. Right? We pray for each other. So if there's something inside you that's just like, yeah, but there's a few people. I don't know. You need to pray for them all the more. Because it's going to get your heart right. And it's going to do them good. And is that not the spirit of Christ? Right? To pray for all kinds of people. To pray for the saints. And to acknowledge we're in the battle together and we need to be praying and linking arms in prayer together. And that is the blessing of corporate prayer. Because one of the ways we do this is we gather together as a church and we pray for all the saints. And we have a, a, a whole list of needs. And then all the needs you bring into the room. Oh, when we begin to pray... When we begin to pray together, God is doing something. God's power is on that. God's spirit is on that. God's smile is on that. And then the church is strengthened 
and mobilized for ministry. And I just, I'm encouraged by this passage to be motivated to pray for others, especially, you know, other people that I'm not comfortable with, right? We need to pray for people we don't know very well, and they're believers. This passage reminds us that that's the business of Christian wartime prayer mentality, right? And I was reminded at our best about a week ago, um, and it's my practice after I eat a meal, I typically ask the server if they need prayer for anything. And so I was kind of excited this time to do it, and, and I, I ask, and the person was new, I didn't know them, and, um, and they said no. <laughs> so they didn't have anything for prayer. And so right when I'm about to get like kind of sad, the lady right next to me in the table stood up and said, I need prayer. I need prayer. Would you please pray for me? And she had recently lost her fiance. And she was just so broken, so discouraged. She was shaking like a leaf. Do you think God knew that already when he put me down in the chair right next to it? And just when I'm about to be like all sad, it's like, no, I've got this for you. And you never know what the Lord will do when you step out and begin to pray for others. Develop a practice, develop a habit of asking people, how can I pray for you? Ask people in this church, ask people after service, right? We want to do more than, than talk about superficialities, but how can I pray for you? So whether it's WMU or WOW Ministry or the Brotherhood, we should be hearing, how can I pray for you? Right? And then be willing to share your heart and get the help that the Lord provides in, when his people come and they pray in these ways. I love that. Verse 18 is just the, the reminder. We're in it together. We're praying together. And every week we have an opportunity to seek the Lord together. And that's powerful. So that's watchful prayer. But what about evangelistic prayer? That's the second thing we see. Look at verse 19. Paul Paul had just said, be praying for all the saints. And now, what does he say? Verse 19, and pray also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So Paul, as an apostle of Jesus Christ, as a missionary of the gospel, sitting in a Roman prison cell, does not ask for creaturely comforts. He does not ask to get out of prison. He asks for boldness to make known the mystery of the gospel. He asks for words. This is the apostle Paul. He's got a lot of words, he said, right, in the New Testament, but he's asking for words. It's not because Paul didn't know the gospel, but because when the Spirit gets a hold of a situation and the Spirit of God puts you somewhere where you got to testify about Jesus, you want God's words in God's way and tailored for the moment. And so he's longing, will you pray for me that utterance, that words might be given, that I might make known the mystery 
of the gospel. And that only happens in answer to prayer. He just, he's like, listen, Ephesus, brothers, sisters, I need you partnering with me in prayer. And I need prayer more than anything else to be a bold ambassador for King Jesus, declaring the gospel. Now, do you think that Paul was in touch with the reality that he was in a prison? Probably he has been beaten with rods and stoned at this point already many times. And it's not his first trip to jail. If you will remember, he was in jail at Philippi. And what happened? The Philippian jailer gets saved because the prison opens all on its own. Paul was no stranger, but he's aware of the reality that sometimes we get timid when it comes to opening our mouth about Jesus. The single thing that keeps a Christian from sharing the gospel is fear. That is the single thing. Public speaking is the, the number one fear factor in most people's hearts. They'd rather die than speak publicly, right? And when the gospel's involved and somebody's soul's at stake, and Paul just got thrown into prison. He's writing the letters from prison. Do you think he was struggling with fear? Do you think he was battling thoughts? Do you think in the long hours by himself or maybe chained to a guard? He knew he needed prayer. He knew he wasn't above it. And neither are you. Neither are you. If you're a Christian in here today, you need prayer for boldness. You need prayer for boldness to make known the mystery of the gospel. You need prayer to be a good ambassador for Jesus. Right? And Paul saw this need. He says so in Colossians 4. He says something similar to this, right? Colossians 4, 2, he says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Up, oh, there's two of our things, right? And at the same time, pray also for us. That what? That God may open a door, may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Beloved, that's one way we could be praying. Lord, open a door at Smithfield for the gospel to advance. You want to see the baptismal waters stirred? You want to see people come to know Jesus? You pray. For God to open a door for the word, for effective ministry, right? That's how we pray. That's warrior prayer. That's wartime prayer. That's evangelistic prayer. And there is nothing I feel more deeply than stepping into a pulpit every Sunday and feeling my need for the Holy Spirit to do what only God can do. There will be no boldness. There will be no power if the Spirit isn't on what's happening in this moment, in this hour. 
Your heart will not be gripped. Your heart will not be transfixed. Your heart will not be moved. Arrows will not be going in where you need it most if the Spirit isn't on it. But when the Spirit's on it, it's like wildfire. And you know God's talking to you. And you know God's speaking to you and encouraging you. You're an ambassador for Jesus. Get going for Jesus. Get on your knees. Pray and seek the face of God that He might open a door and that He might make our mouths open boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. That's what happens when the Spirit just radiates in the heart. And He brings a unique word for His people. And that word boldness is a very unique word. It doesn't just mean fearlessness. It, it It does mean that. It means courage, fearlessness. Even though you're afraid, you charge forward with the word of God. But the word also has this unique meaning of clarity or frankness or open and plain speech. Right? What's a mist in the pulpit is a fog in the pew. The gospel and the word of God needs to be preached with clarity, with frankness, with a plain speech. It shouldn't sound like you're some ivory tower academic. It should be the word of God on fire coming through a man filled with the Holy Spirit. Martin Lloyd-Jones used to say that the preaching of the word is like logic on fire. It's lightning in a bottle. It's the spirit of God moving on the hearts of the people of God as the preacher proclaims the word of God for the glory of God and the edification of his people. And then when you're preaching the gospel to people who are lost, you need to be able to say to them and look them in the eye and tell them, you've been alienated from God in your sins and you need rescue. And the Spirit of God is bearing witness with you today that you're lost. That you're in darkness. That you have chains on you. And that you can never get out of that on your own. No amount of good works, no amount of cleaning yourself up, no amount of of religious gamesmanship. You must have the grace of God break in in Jesus Christ. You must have a Savior who's perfect, who went to a cross and paid his life as a ransom. Sacrificially, dying in your place. Bearing the wrath you deserve to rescue you from your own mess that you got yourself into and you can't get yourself out of. And God is so loving and he's so gracious and he's so good that he provided a king to come and to transform any who will come to him. And so Paul is just electric in his proclamation. He says, pray for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth. Oh, Lord, open my mouth. Pray that for yourself. Lord, open my mouth. And if the Lord opens your mouth, let no man shut it. Hopefully you hear that in the right way. Paul's not being a spiritual jerk. He's a man on fire. 
for God. He's a man full of love for people. He's a man weeping at the state of the lost. He's a man telling people, pleading with people that he's shackled to in a prison. But guess what? I'm here for a reason so that you might know how you can get right with God. And let me tell you about a Savior who can save you from your sins. Let me tell you about somebody who conquered death. You want to know why I'm not afraid to be beheaded? You want to know why I'm not afraid to be in prison? You want to know why I'm joyful even though I'm in chains? I'm an ambassador. You don't put ambassadors in chains. You don't put them in chains. They're dignitaries. They've got diplomatic immunity and he's in chains. But his chains were a badge of honor, a badge of boldness. A badge that something supernatural was going on. God had him there. God had a mission. And that's why countless times through the epistles, Paul says that he's emboldened by his chains. And he would even preach the gospel to his captors. And we have accounts through the book of Acts, as you will read, where he's bearing witness to what he had seen and what he had heard. Listen, I hated Christians. I was running after Christians, ready to throw them in prison. And I got knocked off my horse, blinded by a light. And Jesus said, why are you kicking against the goads? Why are you running away from me, Paul? And he's saying that to some of you today. Why are you running away? Turn around. Come to me. And Paul was so shook to the core. He knew he was wrong before God. And he repented. And he was saved. And he declared that message before the marketplaces, before his fellow Jews in synagogues, where he'd get beat up, thrown out, dragged, stoned in the middle of the city, left for dead. He would preach the gospel in the Areopagus before... The Athenians, some of them thought he was a babbler and others were gripped by the gospel. Knew they needed to be saved. Knew he was speaking the truth. What was the difference? The Spirit of God was working on hearts. And the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. And so today, will you believe? And if we're Christians, will you take this message? Will you become an ambassador for King Jesus? Will you be his representative in the world? Will you be one who's praying with a watchful prayer mentality, with an evangelistic prayer mentality, with an ambassador's heart? And I will close with this glorious portrait of what Paul had in mind from 2 Corinthians 5.17. Listen to Paul talk about his calling and your calling if you're a Christian. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. This is 2 Corinthians 5.17. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. 
That's what gospel ministry is. It's a ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us a message of reconciliation. And then listen to it. Verse 20. Here it is laid out. This is your calling. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. It was as though he was saying, as God is pleading through me, you tell men to be reconciled to God. You tell people. You got to tell them they're lost. You got to tell them they're alienated from God and their sins. You got to tell them they're in darkness. You got to tell them there's judgment coming. But you got to tell them also that they can be reconciled to God. You got to tell them also that there's a great savior, there's a great king, and your message comes with divine authority, divine power that rescues people from darkness. And how does it do that? Verse 21. For our sake, he made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You want to know how to get right with God? You come through Jesus. And some of you need to do that. Some of you need to hear the plea come for rescue. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, if any woman is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Come to Jesus. Don't delay. Bring your heart and your life to him. And watch him clean you up. Trust him. There's no greater news in all the world than what he's done to save you if you will believe. And if you are a Christian, oh, you've got a great message. You're an ambassador who's to have watchful prayer. And <clears throat> you're to have evangelistic hearts as you're praying for God to do what only he can do. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you for this message. We thank you for the hope of the gospel. And Father, I pray that you would be working in hearts right now and that the Spirit would be moving and that those who want to put their trust in Jesus, they feel the call of God, they hear the shepherd calling and, and that you've been speaking to them. Father, that they would turn from their sin, that they'd recognize their loss, their need, and that they would just get honest with you and that they would come to you even now knowing that you're a ready Savior. You paid it all on a cross. And you rose up out of the grave to give life. Father, would you work in those hearts? And as your people, as the people of God, as the Christians who gather at Smithfield, Lord, may we be a people of prayer. Cultivate it. Produce it. Energize it. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.